There we go. We're back again for another episode of Friday Night Counter Attack. And yeah, this is episode 75. Salim, we've done well to make it to 75 episodes, haven't we? How are you doing today? Bloody hell, they just add on. I remember it from being like episode one to episode 20 and now like 75. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's gone on quite a while. Uh, I think I've missed a few recent ones. I've not been as punctual, but had um, a lot of stuff going on in the background. As you can probably see from the background. Literally from the background of your flat. That's, that's your house, sorry. That's really cool. House, yeah. But I mean, what once this all gets done, then hopefully there'll be like a nice background with like some sort of villa shirt framed up behind me or something. And, Ooh. you know, one of my qualification certificates there as well in my office and uh, it'll all be good to go. But that's sort of a, a dream at the moment that we're working towards. So, yeah, maybe in a few months. How, are you going to have one of those patterned out football gardens that everyone has when they, when they design their own garden? You've got the, the little goals and the, the paint on the floor as well. What's the plan for oh, that? Yeah, I might do some of that. Well, to be honest, at the moment, I, that sounds good, but I've been like lawn mowing and stuff. So I've been trying to like lawn mowing patterns and stuff to get football pitch design. So that's my start. That's sick. But man. yeah, that's, that's it. You, nah, know, that, not... you have to do it. No, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to coming over in the summer to helping out as well on one of the days or so. It'll be, it'll be nice to come down and see the progress because it's one of those things, isn't it? When we're busy with things in real life, we forget about even little things like just meeting up and stuff and that's it we're growing up at the end of the day literally from episode one to episode 75 we've just changed so much and we can actually look back at our episodes and see how much we've changed since then to now as well which is which yeah is um but no everyone thank you very much for listening to us now we've actually hit 70 different nationalities so 70 different countries cool. actually listening to friday night counter-attack which is insane that's insane you know people from 70 different countries are listening to friday night counter-attack so thank you everyone for listening Thank you, everyone, for supporting us so far. And we're only going to continue growing as well. I'm looking forward to what we have today because it's quite a, a short episode. And we're looking forward to really talking about mostly our teams and what happened on Saturday with Real Madrid and Liverpool. So, Salim, we'll start off with your kind of first thoughts of Liverpool versus Real Madrid. And there's a big question that I want to get over um, to you later on today is, is Cruz, Modric and Casemiro the greatest trio we've ever seen in Champions League history? For midfielders. Okay. Um, yeah. So in terms of the game itself, uh, um, so obviously I watched the full game. Um, you know, albeit with the half an hour postponement to kick off, well, it was about thirty-five minutes, I think, in the end. Mm. I thought the first half Liverpool played really well, to be fair. And um, it at that point, it just didn't look like Liverpool would lose the game. Uh, there was obviously question marks over the offside of the goal and um, stuff like that. But yeah, I thought Real Madrid sort of dug deep and you always had that feeling that they will get that chance. Even I saw the stats afterwards. I think Liverpool had 24 shots and Real Madrid had about four. Uh, so the pattern of the game was sort of entirely as I expected it to be. I think Liverpool sort of made a mistake. I know it's hindsight now by taking Diaz off. I think he was one of their better players. And um, I think Mane was probably one that should have made way or they should have just somehow just kept Diaz on because he's, he's someone that can create something from nothing. I thought... Yeah. I thought Keita, I'm not too sure about that shot. He took he had time to, you know, take his take a few touches and when he came to him on the edge of the box. So I think Liverpool side panicking and rushing things, which isn't something that Liverpool normally do, because they sort of tend to sort of grind out and fight till the end. So I think I think they panicked a little bit. I think that maybe it was the occasion that got to them, maybe it was the delay that played something on their heads, you know, psychologically, these kind of things affect people in like any sort of way it's like you know if you've got like an exam on a day I used to remember like even the smallest distraction can cause so many problems because you've got everything planned out in a way of how you're going to do it 
So I think them kind of things, you know, might have cost Liverpool a bit. But I still think like Real Madrid, if you think about the journey they've been on in this Champions League, it might have been one of the hardest runs. And the the sort of quality of their team, you know, with, without trying to disrespect them, is nowhere near the quality of team they had when they were winning um, uh, back with CR7 and uh, sort of Ramos and them guys there too. So you could you see they beat PSG, which they were behind. They beat Chelsea, which, you know, they were behind. They beat Man City, which they were behind. And they needed two goals in that last two minutes or wherever it was. So if you think about so spectacular journey they've been on, so miracles every round, because you tend to get a miracle in one round and it's like, oh, you know, you kind of ride your luck and then it's it's done. But it, it was just such a hard run. Like they beat arguably all the, they've literally beaten all the best teams in Europe. Yeah. You know, and hands down. And so you have to give them credit for that. And I just thought if Liverpool didn't, maybe just didn't panic and, you know, kept Diaz on. There's an argument that Salah, that shot he takes at the end where Courtois saves it, that maybe he should look to square that, you know, potentially. I mean, if it was me, I know it's you want to go for glory and score the goal and stuff like that. But if you can get a guaranteed goal just by squaring it, I know we call it a sweaty goal or something like that, but that could be 1-1 and then, you know, you're going into extra time and potentially penalties or you could win it in extra time. But yeah, I thought I did feel bad for Liverpool because they did all the right things until they conceded. Um, even when you look at the breakdown of the goal, I think Robertson goes out hunting Modric completely out of position and it sort of leaves a gap down Liverpool's left and then sort of that's where the space was exploited by Valverde to get in and sort of put the ball across the box. I think it was more of a shot than a cross, but yeah, if you put the ball in that sort of dangerous area, it's going to get met. Uh, someone's going to probably meet it. But yeah, that, that was that. Yeah, it was in that corridor of uncertainty that Valverde... Um, cross-shot it into Vinicius where he scored the, the winning goal in the Champions League as well. And I thought it was a very poor defensive display from Van Dijk and Trent Alexander-Arnold in that in that build-up to the goal as well. Because I thought Van Dijk, you can't go backwards side-on when you're trying to defend against uh, someone who's attacking you. You rather face them up properly and you rather show them one way where they're rather going to be running into one of your teammates when you're delaying it. So Van Dijk was half delaying it and he's half trying to press you rather do one or the other. you rather delay it so your teammates can come and get it. But Robertson was running past to chase Carvajal down the line, if I remember correctly as well. And it left Van Dijk in a really odd position. And I thought that was very poor from him because you expect better from Virgil van Dijk. And I thought Konate was their better, uh, their best centre-back on the, on the day as well, their best defender. And Trent Alexander-Arnold not facing the, 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 the attacker, Vinicius coming through as well. I thought tactically that was very poor from him as well because you expect better when the ball's coming across, because the only other thing he could have done is probably deflect it into his own goal. He wouldn't have been able to cross it out properly and save it properly from himself as well. But I think it was a very, uh, what's the term? Very, very savvy performance from Manchester City, no, Manchester City against Real Madrid in the semi-final until that last minute. I think it was very savvy from Chelsea up until when they conceded. But Real Madrid are literally the most clued on team that you'll ever see in the Champions League in the modern Champions League with Carlo Ancelotti at the at the helm as well and every whenever you kind of thought that oh yeah someone's going to outdo Real Madrid they didn't and Real Madrid just came back and they they were riding their luck on times as well but realistically speaking I think Real Madrid definitely deserves to win the Champions League I thought beating the champions of France beating the champions of Europe beating the champions of um, England as well and then beating the Carabao Cup champions as well Salim that's, that's literally the ride that you want to go on in the Champions League as well um, but realistically speaking, I thought it was fantastic to see 
uh, Real Madrid actually do well. Benzema definitely deserves a Ballon d'Or from what is achieved with Real Madrid this season as well. I think it's been fantastic to see Carlo Ancelotti finally get his flowers and his appreciation in the media. Because realistically speaking, every time he goes and wins somewhere, people are just like, oh yeah, we expect it from Carlo Ancelotti. But he's done it without Cristiano Ronaldo, without prime Sergio Ramos, without prime Marcelo as well. Um, like he did back in 2014 as well. Marcelo was obviously on the bench for this game. Ramos and Varane weren't there. And it was, it was a big rebuild from Real Madrid. The biggest rebuild, like I've said over the season, is when you get the right manager in. Because when you get the right manager in, it makes things a lot easier when you can actually learn from the actual expertise and the experience of the manager. And Carlo Ancelotti, all, all the seasons that he's had, this is probably one of the, besides the Everton one, one of his trickiest seasons, having to rejuvenate this Real Madrid side, having to make sure that they're actually going to be yeah. winning something. And they won La Liga. They obviously lost to Sheriff in the group stage of the Champions League as well. Yeah, they yeah, were yeah. heading out in that group stage up until game week five, I think it was, uh, where they were looking at going into the Europa League, which they didn't have. It didn't happen. And obviously their experience shone through, which, which is great to see. But no, credit to Real Madrid and Liverpool. I'm pretty sure they'll just come back again next season because I don't see anything happening to them. Minus Mane leaving. But with Mane leaving, I still think they'll replace him with someone special if they are going to get 50, 60 million pounds for him as well, where he is. I think anyone can replace Sadio Mane in this Liverpool side because Jurgen Klopp's created such a fantastic system where if you miss yeah. out on one player, someone else can easily just come in and replace. Maybe not the numbers straight away, but say, terms in, um, in terms of how the player's actually going to be replaced, I think you can definitely get replacement for Sadio Mane. See, what, what I was going to add to that as well is like, for example, with um, Real Madrid, I used to sort of pick them all the time on FIFA back when Ronaldo was there. Like, I used to always pick Real Madrid. That was just my team um, in FIFA, just for purely for it because obviously it was one of the best players in the game. And I still love playing, uh, you know, with him in my team. He was, you know, he could do everything. And I just sort of also like, you know, when you pick one team, like a lot, you sort of get used to each player's traits and attributes and the way that the team plays and the style and stuff like that. So to see like that sort of team and now looking at Real Madrid, like there's so many new players, which... I've never even like you know even not I wouldn't say not heard of but I've not really even watched play hardly like obviously Kurt I've heard of but there's a lot of people like you know in the team like Mendy I've not really you know seen him like, Rodrigo and Vinny Valverde Jr. Valverde was sort of there coming through but like even Vinny Junior like you know and then I just saw yesterday that like, Isco's contracts running out I think that that'd be it'd be nice to see him in the Premier League when you see where he was a couple of seasons ago you know one of the best in his position and now he's sort of not really playing much so him and Bale it'd be, it'd be amazing to see them both back in the Prem well, they're both leaving on back, a free as well in the Prem and Bale back yeah both on a free as well mm. no it's, it's really good to see how because even with me as well when you learn about certain plays you don't really necessarily get to watch them play all the time as well and it's just like you said with Furlan Mendy as I only learned about him through the Champions League I don't particularly watch La Liga as much as I did Last season, when we're in a lockdown, you had time to watch it, but it was really good to see how he was actually doing. I thought he did a, a decent job against Mo Salah. Mohamed Salah was definitely the best of the attackers that we saw in the Champions League final. Carvajal really put Diaz to his paces, which was really good to see. And Carvajal definitely had a fantastic game. Um, so, same as Miller Tau as well. And it was really good to see how um, Real Madrid's defence did. But, Salem, just to get back to you on that midfield question as well for Real Madrid with Tony Cruz. Uh, Luka Modric and Casemiro. Again, this dynamic trio of midfielders have done so much since they started together. I think it was in 
2015-2016 season as well. I've said previously on a podcast and a couple of other podcasts that Tony Cruz is a very underrated midfielder, but Luka Modric, man, and Casemiro, I think that they definitely deserve their time in the sun. And I've definitely seen how they've grown as a trio since 2015-16, winning 13 trophies together, three Champions Leagues, I think they've won together as well, because I think there was like a, no, it's rather three or four that won. Four, yeah, yeah, four, which is incredible. Yeah. And a, and a free La Liga as well. But what are your thoughts? Do you reckon these three are the best midfield three we've ever seen in Champions League history, in La Liga history? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's an interesting question, that, because um, you could say, like, so Modric was quite underrated as well before. Uh, I mean, he was like a flop at Spurs when he first came through. Casemiro was, I think, the perfect addition to that midfield of Cruz and Modric because he brings that defensive steel, which... You needed any sort of successful team with all these attacking talent and flair. Yeah. And you've got um, Cruz on the other side, another world-class player. So when you look at that midfield three, it's got that perfect balance to it. Um, I know they're sort of ageing a bit, especially Cruz and Modric. So in terms of like box-to-box, box, you could say they're not maybe as dynamic as they were before, but there's no signs of them letting up at all. I, I'd say... Um, in terms of being the best trio, you could say, like, in terms of trophies, you know, it speaks for itself, the amount of stuff they've all won together. And having that sort of longevity, you know, at the top of, you know, the top of, you know, one of the greatest teams in world football, it, it, it can be hard because there's always, like, great players coming through and, you know, people get replaced. Like, there's always someone better that comes through or someone could have a bad season or injuries and, the whole lot, but to see that sort of consistency over, I don't even know how many seasons it's been now, at least seven years or something like that. Because the, the obvious debate is either that or Xavi, Iniesta and Busquets. Yeah. So, and then there's also the argument of Gattuso, Perlo and Seydorf as well. Yeah, see, I mean, it depends how far back you want to go. Like, you can get, there's all sorts of, you know, trios that you can put together and yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough one. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't want to answer it. So I'd I'd <laughs> say like you can sway either way. You know, there's pros and cons for each one. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the trophies speak for themselves, and the ability of the three, and you know, they show they show their, their talent once again. I mean, in the first half, Real even looked like they were so getting on on the ball, but second half, the three of them came out and they did show a bit more control, got their foot on it a bit more. And yeah, that, that, that's it for me, to be honest on that. I honestly can't split the two trios, but yeah, it, it'd be amazing to, to have seen, you know, like just watching the game of, you know, the old school El Clasico. Well, not old school, but sort of El Clasico when we had Ramos, we had PK, we had Lisa there, but Ronaldo, Messi, and then, you know, Modric and Xavi and Iniesta and, and these guys. It was played at such a high level, um, you know, probably the greatest game in world football. Definitely. Yeah, because that was literally when the Premier League was like second fiddle to La Liga because of the the prime players that were available at the time when you got prime Ronaldo, prime Messi against each other, prime Puyol, prime Ramos against each other as well. And it was crazy to see how ridiculous that they were back in the back in the day as well. And even now when you're seeing in the uh, La Liga, I think they lost 4-0 um, to Barcelona recently as well. And they had the Modric, Cruz and Casemiro uh, partnership as well. But for me personally... You know, yeah, I'll go out on a limb. I'll, I'll say at this moment in time, probably because it's the recency bias at the, at the time, which I don't really fall for, fall for. Modric, Cruz and Casemiro probably are the, the greatest midfield trio that we've seen in European football in history, because yeah. in modern history, because 
I think to do it time and time and time again against so many different oppositions with so many different qualities against them as well. In, it's like, what, six, seven, six years, isn't it, Salem, since you said when they first started as well? And the trophies <laughs> have won. It's crazy. If you remember when they won in, um, they won that semi-final against Bayern Munich on their way to Cardiff in 2017. That was a big yeah. game for them as well. And that's when they actually went through a, a really hard-hitting Bayern Munich side as well. And I don't know Ronaldo scored a couple of offside goals in that game as well. But seeing how Modric can dictate a game, seeing how Cruz can control a game just by playing a longer pass or playing a shorter pass as well. And Zinedine Zidane recently said a couple of years ago, uh, he said that Xavi and Yeste will play like 10, 15 passes, but Tony Cruz can make that one pass and he can split defence open just like that. And I agree with you in terms of Casemiro having that steal because... Real definitely were a different side when they had Casemiro in the side and it wasn't someone like Kadira or Xabi Alonso who they had in their holding midfield roles as well. I think they had Diara once upon a time as well. And that's what I see as the main difference. When we saw prime Barcelona coming through with Xabi, Iniesta, Busquets, young Pedro, yeah. uh, David Villa, Lionel Messi, of course, it was the midfield of like Diara, Xabi Alonso, Kadira, Ozil, Kaka, and that couldn't break the domination of, of Barcelona. But I believe this one did, the Modric, the Cruz and the Casemiro one, because we haven't seen Barcelona in a final since 2015. And every other final we've seen has had a, uh, a, big, a big win for Real Madrid in it as well since then, which has been fantastic. And not all just down to Cristiano Ronaldo and Benzema, but because of the control, the discipline, the, the power and the performance of Casemiro, Modric and Tony Cruz as well. And everyone listening knows that I'm a big to- fan of Tony Cruz as well. And Luka Modric, again, like you said, Salem, someone who was playing as a left mid or a right mid at Spurs under Harry Redknapp maybe wasn't getting the best of um, starts in his career as well. Moves to Real Madrid under Jose Mourinho, gets labelled the worst flop of the season in his first season as well. Yeah. And then he won, I think he won one of the most prestigious awards in Spain for like sports athletes and stuff like that as well because of what he's done. And obviously, he's a Ballon d'Or winner. He was the one to break that Ronaldo and Messi cycle back into Barcelona. Yeah. Uh, winning the Champions League and getting Croatia to the World Cup final as well, which is great. But yeah, I'll, I'll back it. I'll back it in terms of Tony Cruz, Luka Modric and Casemiro are the greatest trio that we've seen in uh, European football midfielders in, in recent times as well, which is good fun. But no, yeah. son, now I just wanted to ask you a bit more about uh, basically your new signings for Aston Villa because it's already been a very busy summer and we're technically not even in summer. We're still in May at the time of recording as well, so you got Bubakar Kamara, you got Diego Carlos for Aston Villa. Um, what are your kind of thoughts on what, what else Steven Gerrard really needs to replenish this summer in terms of positions, in terms of signings? Who would you like to see Aston Villa sign this summer and, and why, really, Salim? Because I want to hear your thoughts on this. I'd say it's been an amazing window so far. I've always backed the board and Langer, Christian Persler. I've always backed them, you know, from the second they walk through the door, especially Christian Persler, that, you know, they are trying to build something at Villa and, and they are... Um, I'd say the one thing that was quite important was I, I know a lot there was a lot of sort of talk that we needed a defensive mid holding mid from like last season this was and we didn't get one and then in January there was talk about Bentan Cup but we didn't go for him and you know we, we kept holding out but the reason was the board I, I did mention it before that we were after that that right player and that right player was Bubaka Kamara and you know we finally got him through the door a position we needed to strengthen for like years now I can't even remember Maybe since we had like Whelan and Yedinak in, it's been a weakness for us. And that was obviously in the championship. But I'd say that was a terrific signing. I think getting Coutinho in... 
I agree. Bubakar Kamara, for everyone who's listening from the beginning, he was one of the first people I scouted on my little scout hams thing. And I've been saying for ages, Bubakar Kamara's Premier League quality is a young player coming through at Marseille. He did pretty decent in European football this season as well. I think they got to the semi-final of the Conference League as well. Got a couple of France call-ups. And the fact that he's gone to Aston Villa on a free transfer Salim, like you said, you're, you're buzzing for it. I'm buzzing to see him in the English Premier League, but I'm really upset because I thought Man United, if they had followed Ralph Ragnick, because Ralph Ragnick identified him as a proper, uh, excuse me, a proper improvement from Scott McTominay and Fred as well, who we actually have. But I'm, I'm really excited to see him in this team for, for you, Sam, because he can also play as a centre-back as well. He's someone that actually can pass forward because he has the best passing accuracy in league R this season, ahead of Verratti, ahead of people like Messi and uh, whoever else is in the French league. But Boubacar Kamara from centre-back to centre-mid is literally like the French Declan Rice, in my opinion. I think it's going to be fantastic for Aston Villa. I, I will come back to this because I did say Aston Villa will have some good signings as well, Simon. But you mentioned Coutinho. How, how happy are you to see Coutinho back in um, Villa Park next season as well, permanently? Yeah, like, so when it comes to Coutinho, um, imagine he's taken a 70% pay cut to join Villa. That sort of shows his sort of eagerness and desire that he has, you know, to play football. So he was another terrific signing. And then the third one was um, Diego Carlos, which is going through. That was a bit of a shock, you know. The board are quite good at getting these deals through without any rumours at all. So he was a, you know, tough, uh, solid centre-back. A lot of, uh, say, he's better than Koundé as well. So, um, that's a massive plus. Uh, the stuff that I've read about him in La Liga, I think Sevilla have conceded the sort of third least amount of goals, I think it is, in the top five leagues. I think Man City had 26. I think Liverpool were there and then I think it was them with 30. But he's been a rock at the back and you know he's been a major part of them not conceding many goals. So he's been a great signing. All three signings have given up Champions League football to join us as well. That's quite important to point out. So far, it's so good. But in terms of going forward in the window, I reckon Robert, uh, I reckon Olsen, the goalkeeper, we've got, he'll probably sign, hopefully. And um, I think we may we may go for like another centre back. So there was talk about Sven Botman joining. Oh yeah, the, no, the another talk- one of my guys that I've been scouting for ages. And I thought, you know what, it'd be really good to go into a top team. He's league cha- league on champion of Lille last season as well. It, yeah, it's- He's quite pacey for a tall bloke, six foot four, I think he is as well. Dutch international, uh, ridiculous talent on the ball as well. He can ping it from literally crossfield. So literally, it'd be an improvement on Tyro Mings. But he's been linked with Newcastle and Aston Villa as well, isn't it, Salim? So it's, it's one of those that if you do get him, it'll be a big, it'll be a big sign for you guys. I think AC Milan as well are linked with him, but uh, he, he's oh. somebody that everyone's after. He's a young lad. I think he's twenty two or twenty four. Yeah. Remember, but he'd be he'd be he'd be one that I'd want to get through the door. Then there's always talk of uh, Bisuma. He's I think he's our sort of key target now. Um, he's your marquee signing if you get him as well. Yeah, he's sort of a box to box, and obviously we bid 25 million for him in Jan, but they wanted 40 then, and now he's sort of got a year left on his contract, so we should be able to get that. I reckon we'll get him over the line, and then there's sort of talk of like another attacking player. So Jonathan David was one that was linked. Uh, another one was Gerard Moreno and the Luis Suarez links aren't ending either. But yeah, for me, I, I think another potentially, I mean, there was that left back as well um, from, uh, is it Sampdoria, uh, Hickey? Yeah, Aaron Hickey. Is he from Bologna? 
uh, Bologna, sorry, not Sampdoria. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we could do with maybe another uh, Bissouma and maybe another attacking player, another defensive player, and that's it for us. Uh, we've got a lot of like good youngsters like uh, Kessler Hayden that can come through at right back. We've got Josh Feeney as a quality centre back. We've got Ben Christine is a left back. We've got obviously Jacob Ramsey's come through, brother Aaron Ramsey and uh, Chukwu Mecca, who we're hoping does sign a new deal. And then we've still got Cameron Archer and Louis Barry as well, amongst some others. So we've got a good core and we've got some good youngsters coming through. So I think just give Gerard one pre-season, a full pre-season with his players and his sort of getting his ideas across. And I think you'll see a very different Villa team uh, next season because we did see glimpses of it, but it just wasn't consistent enough and it wasn't on a game-by-game basis. It just didn't pull through. Yeah. So yeah, it's exciting times at Villa and you know, hopefully we can push towards the next step and then the next step because the owners have got, you know, sort of a massive commitment they've put and they've, they've backed their commitment as they've shown their commitment by, you know, pumping money in and supporting the board and the players and the team wherever they can. If you could choose one attacker to sign with Gerard's system that he, that he plays, do you think you need another centre forward or probably a winger or like a second striker to support Coutinho? Who would you want to go for personally, Sam? Just so, just so I could know. Uh, well, I do know a lot of fringe players are going out, so like Bertrand Trore and El Ghazi and Trezeguet and these guys. So I think it'd be nice to get a striker winger type, yeah. like a John David, someone that can play out wide and sort of up, like, you know, can play up top two. But yeah, preferably like a really good pacey sort of um, wide man uh, that can play up top as well. Someone a bit kind of like Leon Bailey is, but maybe um, a bit more of a forward than Bailey because he's more of a winger. but so something like that is would be ideal. But yeah, it, the thing is, some people say, oh, you can't have all these players. But, you know, you need options, especially with such a long season and injuries and, you know, form dipping in and out. And again, you can give teams things to worry about because if they know, like, you know, back when we had Grealish, we were just sort of a one-trick kind of team. Everyone knew, just look up, give it to him and he'll pull something out. But we have become more rounded now, especially with, you know, Buendia is probably our best player now, I'd say. And having him and Coutinho... So creative with all these other players too, where complete different team now. Like Jacob Ramsey's come on like leaps and bounds this season. You go for someone like Dwight McNeil, who's just been relegated from from the Premier League with Burnley. Would you reckon he'd be a good shout as an alternative? Yeah, he's not bad. I guess um, he was somebody that was linked before, but a player that I quite liked that I signed in football manager was uh, Mikel Damsgaard. Ooh, Sampdoria winger, Danish yeah. one. In as well, I think that's why I was thinking about Sampdoria. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he, he, he'd be a really nice signing to make. For everyone yeah. listening, he was the one who scored the free kick for Denmark against England in the semi-finals of the Euros. Mm-hmm. Quality that, player. Yeah, that was it. So, like I said, like I'm, I'm quite open. Um, I, I don't mind, you know, whoever the board bring in. You know, I'm back in the board and I back Gerard, and I'm, I'm sure they'll make the right choice. We made some good signings over the last few years. You know, we're sort of players' values have been increasing and we're getting good usage out of them. I know it's been a bit tough for some players this season, like Bailey and Ings at times, but even Buendia, you know, they've all shone through in the end. And sometimes players just need time to adapt, you know, a completely different league, Premier League. It's different to anything they've ever experienced before. Definitely. Yeah, even with Jadon Sancho coming back to England, it took him a year to properly adapt and we haven't even seen the best of him yet um, at Manchester United. But... Even with players like Carrasco at Atletico Madrid, he's looking at leaving as well. Um, he's literally someone you could get for like 20, 30 million pounds as well. And there's, there's so many people available in the summer. Like even Tottenham today, they got even Perisic on a free 
We'd have thought Perisic would ever go to Spurs. That's incredible. Good signing yeah. for them as well. Left, left. The one that, he's the one I find to be quite like a consistent player as well. Like it's going to be exciting to see him in the Premier League. Something you probably thought would never happen. Yeah, we're getting we're getting a good player and even Perisic joining Spurs as well. And I think with, I think someone who would work really well for Aston Villa, like you said, is someone called Rafa, who obviously plays for uh, Benfica. So uh, Felipe's team. Felipe mentioned Rafa a couple months ago when they were playing against Liverpool. I thought he'd be a pretty good player to see in the Premier League. Small, speedy guy, someone who can actually take on opponents as well, which would be which would be really good fun as well, I would say, um, going forward. But no, it's it really nice to hear your thoughts on Aston Villa and what they're planning on doing this summer. And hopefully by September, October, we'll be seeing this few, this new Steven Gerrard Aston Villa side actually giving it to a big, a lot of bigger oppositions as well, because your owners are properly backing it. It's really good to see how um, you've got owners that are backing it as well. And unfortunately for Man United, it doesn't feel that way um, for me at the moment, because having seen Ralph Ragnick leave this week, uh, from apparently through mutual consent, I don't think that's true. I think it's just one of those things that, because he's exposed Man United and their board all throughout the season, they're all throughout his tenure at being at... Um, Man United, I thought that was poor from the board to actually let him go and not really stay on as a consultant because I think he would have really helped bridge the gap for Eric Ten Hag with this new board, with this new way that we're looking at Manchester United this season. We've got a new CEO, Richard Arnold. We've got John Murtagh, the director of football now, and Darren Fletcher at the top as well. It's really difficult to see how they think without someone like Ralph Radnick who knows how to organise the football side of a football club, how they're actually going to go about um, this this summer transfer window because we've been linked with literally every single Ajax player in the in the squad. It doesn't look like we're going to sign any of them just yet as well. So it's going to be quite serious to see how many players we actually do need. But it's it's more for me to see how many players actually do leave Manchester United as well because we do need to free up a lot of our deadwood, get rid of a lot of these people who are on ridiculous wages and don't play or demand to play when they're not even good enough as well. So it's going to be really good to see how Man United do this summer. But I really believe that. Ralph Ragnick, he didn't do the best managerial job, but I thought he would have done a really good job consultancy-wise as well um, to really see yeah. how Man United could actually adjust going forward as well. Sorry, you were saying. See, I, I was going to say, sorry, like, I was just going to say on, on, on Ragnick, he just looks like a massive waste of time now. Like, I don't understand what what the point was in bringing him in if yeah. they were just going to sack him anyway. Like, I, I know I understand he's gone for the Austrian job, but obviously an in, international job is different. Like, I reckon he could have still... So balanced both, but now it just looks like what what were the board thinking, and what was the point in bringing him in? And like I, I don't understand what he's done. Like I, honestly, I, I just don't understand what Man United are doing. Like there seems to be like no direction. It seems a complete opposite of the direction we've got at Villa Park. Yeah, because of the way I was seeing it as well, I thought this would have been us turning a corner with Ralph Ratnick as a consultant now. Because again, he wasn't one of our better managers. He had officially the worst record in the Premier League since we've had managers in the Premier League as well. We got knocked out the FA Cup to Middlesbrough, got knocked out the Atletico Madrid game, obviously, in the Champions League. They had a poor season, ending the season with six straight away defeats as well. That 4-0 against Brighton was not even embarrassing. It was just numbing to see how bad we were. Um, the players he exposed, which I quite like, I quite like how he's brutal in his press conference as well, Salim, the fact that he would expose a lot of them for not turning up on time for training for complaining about not being in the matchday squad, this and that. I, I thought it was fantastic because we needed that because the players actually thought you, we can get away with like having an interim manager, but he still exposed them at the same time. And the, the players and 
the the broader media and the broader fan base as well, not just for Man United fans, but just fans in general got to see how Man United really were. And this is what we've been complaining about for like eight, nine years as well, post Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, how these players are actually going. But I agree with you, Salem. We didn't really have a direction under Ragnick when he was a manager. I don't see where we kind of why I don't see where Ericsson Hag is going to kind of go without the proper guys at the the top to kind of protect him from like the Glazers, from uh, Richard Arnold, our new CEO as well. I don't know if they're actually all going to fully believe in this Eric Ten Hard project straight away. I don't think they they want to spend more than 100 million, 120 million pound this summer as well without having to try and get rid of some of these players. And it's an old fashioned notion that Man United still sign players when they're running out of a contract. They don't normally let them go on a free. So for the first time in a while, letting Matic go on a free, letting Mata go on a free as well. These Pogba go on a free, Lingard on a free, Cavani on a free. This is refreshing to see because it means at least five players are actually going to be leaving Man United. Yeah, I mean, there's two parts to that, obviously. I mean, like, if you look at Pogba, the money you spent and stuff, and, you know, it's come to nothing in the end of it. Embarrassing. That is embarrassing, Salah. How did we get bodied by Juventus twice and bodied by Pogba and Raiola twice? That was so sad to see. 90 million doesn't do much for Man United. I backed him all the way. I'm like, next season he'll come good. Next season he comes good. He doesn't come good. He'll have a couple of good games, but he just doesn't come good. Doesn't turn up for most of the season. Mostly injured all the time, unfortunately. And you can't blame a player for being injured, but you can always recover better. Sometimes they don't. And we got we got embarrassed by Paul Pogba and his agent and ridiculous wages that we paid for him and ridiculous wages we got quoted for keeping him. And if we don't keep him, it's a win for Man United, but we've lost overall. That's how I see it, Salomon. Probably what you were going to say as well, I think. I was going to say, I, I was obviously, when we were watching the, the, the Liverpool final, my uh, brother made quite an interesting point. So he sort of asked the question to us all that, who, who was the last player that United made a profit on, that they bought and they've sold and made a profit on? And um, yeah, it was quite interesting, actually, because, I mean, unless you want to guess it. Do you know the answer? I know the answer, but... Uh, last, one, last one that I think we made a profit on was probably, uh, was, I'm, I'm not going to, no, it wasn't Depay. No, it wasn't. No, I can't, I, I don't know. Who, who is it, Salah? Well, he, well, he told me it was uh, Cristiano. The first time he sold him, that was the last time he made a profit on someone. Wow, I don't know 2009. If I, I reckon it's worth, I reckon it's worth somebody checking this, one of the listeners, but yeah, that's what I got told. Yeah. I would think so as well, because Di Maria, we spent 60 million on. We sold him for 40. Uh, Van Persie, we bought for 24. Let him go for like 3 million pounds to Fenerbahce. Hernandez, we sold for like 6 million, bought him for 14. I'm thinking of all of these like attacking players as well. Uh, no, I don't think we've, we've made a proper profit on anyone. They've rather retired or left on a free or anything like that as well. Or, or, not, or we just made a loss on them as well, because... I think it's quite sad to see how Man United are run as a business because we haven't actually... Even Chris Smalling. No, Chris Smalling was like six, seven million as well to Roma because we bought him for like 10 million as well. So I thought it would have been Chris Smalling. That would have been a shout, but it wasn't. Um, but no, it's, it's crazy to really see how bad Man United are run financially as well. People think, oh yeah, yeah we're amazing because we've got the Glazers and they're spending money. We, they spend money, but they take out a lot more money as well. We're in a debt of like seven hundred million pounds still at the moment. Still haven't paid the off since two thousand six, which they keep taking money out. It's crazy here at Man United, and it's never going to be a, a normal time until things are really settled. But 
Salem, what are your first thoughts on like Eric Ten Hag as manager? What have you kind of seen from Ajax um, with Eric yeah, Ten Hag? I just wanted to know your thoughts because I, I haven't spoken to you about this properly. I'll be honest, I'm quite interested to see him in the Prem. Um, I've uh, obviously seen, not watched much sort of Ajax, mm. of Ajax, so, but obviously the, there's a reputation there and the managers we've got, you know, with Conte, Tuchel, um, you know, Pep and Klopp. And then we've got these younger managers like Gerard, Vieira, Lampard as well. Yeah. So, you know, all in all, like, I'm really interested to see how he's going to do and how he's going to fit in. And he's obviously going to want to stick to his principles. But I think the main thing that United can do is just give him time. That's it. The fans and the board, basically, just give him time. And it's one of them where you have to sort of trust the process in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things that we can't be demanding everything straight away. And Man United fans... Not me, but Man United fans have a tendency to demand everything straight away. We want this, we want that. But I think for the first time in a while, they've finally realised we can't do that with this manager because we've always had managers who are past their prime as well. The Mourinho's past their prime. Van Gaal past his prime as well. That haven't really worked. It. Even Ralph Ragnick, for instance, was past his prime. If he even had a prime, like he did at Schalke in like 2011 as well. So yeah. it's, really good yeah. to, it's really good to see how we've got someone who's just on the cusp of being a better player and if you were looking at Man United now, objectively, where is the first position that you would say needs uh, needs improving? Because there's so many. But if you had to spend one one position on one player, what would it be and why? One, yeah, spend money on one player in one position. That's how I say it. Um, I'd, for me, it hundred percent have to be a new centre back. Yeah, I know. I know it's something that United have had problems with for a long time, but people forget the sort of money that United have spent on centre backs as well. Because you've made, you've spent, you know, 30 million on Bailey, on Bailly, on Lindelof. Maguire was obviously 80 million pounds, which you'll never, ever recoup. Mm -hmm. um, Varane, obviously, on paper, looked to quality signing. Maybe his problem is the person next to him. Um, it goes on, really. Like, you know, you've spent big money in that position. I mean, Phil Jones looks better than Maguire as it is. And we but spent yeah, 17 million on him as well. Yeah, so I reckon the number one priority would be to get a good ball-playing centre back. I think I think that should be the number one priority there. Yeah. And so you need to you need to rebuild the spine. You know, there's no doubt. I think there's potential that Donny Van Der Beek could do a job. Yeah. You know, he, he can play that sort of one-touch kind of Ajax kind of football, which you know the principle that Ten Hag is going to bring over suits him to a T. Definitely. No, it'd be it'd be really good to see as well, but. Yeah, lots to look forward to this summer in the transfer market for Man United and Frasen Villa, respectively. Hopefully, we get the players that we kind of want to um, get as well, which will be good fun. But no, we're at the end of this part of the podcast as well. Salim, I know you have to go. Um, what are your plans this summer regarding Friday Night Counter-Attack? Are you coming back to Friday Night Football on um, Fridays anytime soon? Or is it more just like developing the house and stuff? Um, yeah, to be honest, it's been kind of tough for me to sort of be like mobile like I've, I've been London like a few times but I've not really been Birmingham much uh, of late um, to be honest I am um, sort of trying to get the house done as much as I can uh, that's sort of my number one priority because I'm looking to paint myself uh, so yeah but I think once things sort of get sorted and you know the house you know sorted I've got a couple of holidays coming up as well so I'm going to be going abroad uh, but I, I reckon once I can get things done and settled, like, you know, at the moment, I'd just say it's sort of um, an exceptional time. I wouldn't say it's like sort of normal business kind of thing for me. It's quite exceptional, the situation that I am living in at the moment. Uh, not, it's, it's not in a bad way by any sort of 
it's a promising yeah. way of living. That's the, that's the way to put it. Because yeah, it's, it's I got mean, rewards at the end of it. I really. mean, the, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can't see my life being like this, like for like a normal sort of thing. It's, it's just so much going on at, at one time. Like there's a lot of things happening at one time, and it's so, you know, you just have to sort of keep up somehow. But yeah, yeah. I think I think once everything gets back to once everything gets to a stage called normal. Where I can, you know, just do things like as normal. I've not even played like PlayStation in such a long time, a football manager. But, yeah. but once I can get things back to normal, and you know, I'm juggling work and everything else as well. Once I can get everything back to normal, I can, you know, start uh, meeting my family more. I've not really been seeing my family much lately, uh, and I can start coming back to Birmingham more. Uh, and yeah, and you know, I can work from the office there too. So I think once I can just get things back. Well, not even back up. Once I can hit this sort of new normal that exists somewhere, I can hopefully, you know, get back to playing Friday nights because that's, you know, the, the aim was to go try and get one Friday night game in a month. Yeah. And um, at the moment, it's not really looked like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. I think I just need to get through maybe the next sort of three or four months. I reckon from. After, I reckon in this summer I should be down a few times, but I reckon from September onwards, I think things should be back to normal or to a sense of normal for me. Yeah, definitely. It's about getting through these little periods of your life as well, which is good fun. And for anyone listening, if you ever want to help out with Salem's new home as well, just literally let us know on Instagram and we'll, we'll send you the address. And if you want to help paint and decorate and stuff like that, we'll get that sorted for Salem as well, make it easier for him going well, forward. Any advice, any decorating advice or anything like that, you know, um, Hints and tips needs to be done, needs to be done. Um, But no, Salem, just before we wrap up this part of the podcast as well, um, it is kind of time because when this podcast comes out, we are one month away from hosting our first networking event, which is quite cool, isn't it, Salem? We're hosting our first little Friday Night Counter-Attack networking event um, in London. Are you looking forward to doing that? Yeah, honestly, can't can't wait for that. Um, Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Like I said before, there's so many things that's happening this summer. Mm. You know, it's all, it's already like June tomorrow, well, the time of recording. Yeah. And um, there's so many things happening. There's so much potential. And I, I know it's going to go so quick. So I'm trying to like enjoy every like small moment that I can. Because um, there's so many times where you look forward to stuff and, you know, you sort of count the days down. And once you count those days down, like, you know, if you're looking forward to something in July, you sort of miss the whole month of June. So I'm trying to take it day by day. And I'm trying to like enjoy every day that I can, every moment that I can. And, I'm trying not to count the days down much, even though I am looking forward to so many things. You know, I've got a lot of um, stuff put into my calendar. And, uh, you know, I, I do have a look and, you know, I do sort of see how long there is to each thing. But, yeah, I mean, even time of recording, you know, I've got something something big coming next week, actually. Mm. Uh, I don't, I don't want to reveal it here. I don't want to spoil it. But, not but yet, yeah, yet. You'll, um, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure you'll know what it is, like, looking back to this uh moment that we've recorded yeah, yeah there's a lot there's a lot happening there's a lot going on and i feel like you just have to sort of enjoy every every moment of it because you know once it goes it's not going to come back exactly no it's the best way to put it as well sam because you've got to enjoy the moments that you're in as opposed to looking forward to enjoying enjoying moments in the future as well um it's really good advice mentally as well for people listening as well if you're, if you're looking at certain events coming up this summer make sure to in, appreciate the here and now and the moments that you're in as well and once again, once again, Salem's killed it with the advice as well. But 
yeah, just before we wrap up, we are hosting our first ever football podcasting event uh, at, in central London this summer as well. It's the 3rd of July, where we are meeting uh, a whole host of football podcasts and football journalists as well. And we're going to be playing foot golf, which will be great fun as well. I've been getting my practice on. It's been great to get that all up and running recently. It's been good to really re- video record it as well. So I'm really looking forward to seeing Salem there in person. It's going to be a nice day in London, hopefully. And um, inshallah, it'll be a great experience to meet loads of different people um, that we've worked with on the podcast before. But yeah, Salem, any closing messages before we wrap up the podcast today? I was going to say, it's always going to be a good day in London. So Yeah, London is London. That's what we like to do in it, Salem. London is London, yeah. I've not heard that one for a while, but yeah, that's... That, that is the one that, that brought a smile to my face your little saying that we have when we go to london but no um everyone thank you very much for listening wherever you are listening in the world we are quite humbled that 70 different countries have been well people in 70 different countries are listening to friday night counter-attack please subscribe to us on youtube where we are putting out more video content this this summer as well um and yeah just looking forward to next week's episode everyone thank you very much for listening take care and goodbye